I did not feel like I fit in anywhere. You know, my father's from Trinidad, my mom's from New Brunswick. I've got Irish, Scottish, English, French, Indian, black. I got everything in me. <laughs> and that is such a blessing. Like I'm a child of the world and I wouldn't want it any other way, but Great. connection is critical. Yeah. Storytelling is the second thing. The third thing are the outcomes. Why are we here? What are we trying to get at? We always forget that. Mm. You know, in the tech world, uh, as you said, I run Canada for a technology, a global technology company. And we sometimes get caught up in the AI of the world or the business intelligence or the integration of the technology we sell. Yes, and even Dr. Joe Dispenza has said, you can't be, I'll just use wealth for an example, you can't be wealthy until you're wired for wealth. And then at that point, you can't even stop it. It's like you, you it just, you can't push it, it away. Like it's, yeah, like you said, it's, it's the, the law of attraction is a very, very real thing. And... All right, welcome back to another episode of The Professional Risk Takers. We're your hosts, Lorenzo and Matt. As always, we want to bring to you the best of the best value in the business. And tonight, there's no exception with the guests that we have. Tara Mishra is in the house. She's a public speaker, a corporate executive, real estate investor. And when she's not doing all of those things, you might catch her climbing Mount Everest. You heard us right. So welcome to the show, Tara. Welcome. Pleasure to have you as a guest. It's my pleasure and honor to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Good to see you again. So it's, it's been a minute. Yeah, yeah. Before we get into anything, Tara was actually with us on our most recent trip to Belize. She became, she went from, for me at least, she was a stranger to becoming a dear friend. Um, yeah. I'm glad I met her. I'm wearing this shirt because of her. I, 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 <laughs> Memories I, I, went, of Belize. I went to her for, her for her advice and, you know, what she thought about the, this uh, this apparel. And uh, she gave me the green light. So <laughs> here I am wearing it tonight. But no, Tara, Tara's awesome. I've grown to love her in a short period of time. And we can't wait to show you, you know, what she's shown us about herself in the, in the week that we spent with her. It's uh, she's a very, it's very admirable what she's done with her life and the kind of person she uh, she is and carries herself to be. So let's dig into it. Absolutely. Thank you. And yes. just for all of you, thanks for joining and giving us your time and attention. And thank you for having me on your show. For it's sure. a pleasure. And you really make an, a difference and an impact with all the work you're doing. So keep it up. And thanks thank for having you. me. Thank you. Yeah, we, we were excited. It's a pleasure. We were excited. You know, the, the intro is always nice when we introduce a guest to the show. Like we try to highlight some key points and um, everything that we touched on introducing you to the show is legit. Um, having getting to know you, especially at that time in Belize, just the work that you do uh, to empower others. Uh, we, Matt and I actually benefited from it that week. Just mm -hmm. the positive vibes, the positive thoughts, the, even the conversations that we carried that week were so powerful. And let's get into the... Um, aspect of, you know, public speaking is one thing that you do, but what is it about public speaking? Like you told us off air, like public speaking is something that you do, but it's not just a specific thing. It's just something you do with everything. Yeah. Public speaking is very scary. And I remember when I was a child, I was in grade six and it was a bit of a troublemaker back then. <laughs> Don't hold it against me. And the teachers gave me an award for something other than making trouble. And I got up there and I tried to articulate something. And all that came out of my mouth was stuttering. Literally. And at that moment, I just... I felt so embarrassed, so overwhelmed. And I thought to myself, like, I'm never going to be in this situation again. Right. And 
you know, in grade six, I made that decision. And from then on, I just ended up speaking up a little bit more. And I think it was a mindset shift that took me from stuttering to clear speech because I no longer wanted to be that underdog in that area of my life. And when I think about what it does in my life today, it is a way of living. Everything I do has public speaking in it because I don't believe that we should put any one skill in a box. And so I try to diversify my life with great new experiences. I try to diversify my work portfolio with my corporate job and then my giving back and acts of service and then my money making, um, of course, with my property investments. But all of that has some form of public speaking around it. And the way that it came to be was experiencing the fear, experiencing that embarrassment and never wanting to like feel it again. And then just kind of moving through it and coming out on the other side of it. And it started with believing I could speak clearly and then working my way towards that without formal training. And then of course, as I started to get into the corporate world, I became a corporate trainer and I started to learn a little bit about how humans learn. And then from there, it really evolved to more storytelling. We're always so caught up when we speak about getting our point across, what are we trying to sell? What are the feature benefits of a certain investment? But true public speaking should be about connecting to people. And the way to connect to people is through stories Mm -hmm. and through empathy and through the similarities of the stories. And so that's why I love public speaking is that Mm -hmm. last bit, like that connection. Yeah, I've, um, so I've, Lately, I've been reading a lot of communication and public speaking books. And one of the biggest points is exactly that most people, when they fail at public speaking, or at least when they start out and they, and they have a hard time and they don't connect with is because they make it about them. How can I impress them? How can I, how can I speak so that they look at me as educated or intelligent? If you just dumb it down and not in not in a way that the audience is dumb, but if you just dumb it down, you don't have to try and impress them with fancy words. You don't have to try and act like, you know, all the math and English problems there are like just be relatable, true relatable. And that's, that's a huge step forward in connecting. So, I mean, I haven't done, you know, enough to say I haven't experienced in it, but everything I read up on this topic, it comes back to that. Right. Connection is critical. Storytelling is the second thing. The third thing are the outcomes. Why are we here? What are we trying to get at? We always forget that, Mm. you know, in the tech world, uh, as you said, I run Canada for a technology, a global technology company. And we sometimes get caught up in the AI of the world or the business intelligence or the integration of the technology we sell. People don't buy our software for that. It's just like you didn't invest in this building for this particular episode, right? You invested in it for what you're building. People invest in our technology for the stories that it brings, saving a child's life, knowing how to triage in the hospital, being able to find fraudulent activities, being able to give mortgages to people who may come across less deserving. All of that can be driven through data. You don't think of that at first set. So when you are discussing data, it's so important to not leave that out. So that's another form of bringing in the connection even if it's in a corporate work environment where you're giving a talk. Yeah. You, you know, a lot of people I've, I've had experience in public speaking and in any time that I've made, not maybe like the best presentation is because I was trying to go by memory. I was trying to remember a specific point that was, you know, important. And those things are important, but 
the real importance is like you said, the connection. And when you just calm down a little bit and you actually talk to the audience as, as not talking to them, like you talk with them, it's a whole different dynamic. And they leave remembering what, what was really the point that day. So it's, it's true. You got to connect with the, the audience. Otherwise they're just going to be like, okay, another presentation, big deal. Yeah. And the words are important, making sure they're pithy, making sure that you're not over academic, being overly academic, as you suggested first. But remember, people don't remember what you said. They remember how you made them feel. So how do you, when you're talking to a thousand people, how do you make everyone in the room feel like you're talking to them? That's what I always try to focus on when I'm giving a talk. And I, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but I've, again, something I've read is that you just try and make it even tell yourself, you're just talking to one person. Look at, look at that person. Look at that, like, you know, make eye contact and pretend you're just talking to your best friend who you care about. And I think that'll have a ripple effect versus again, trying to impress a thousand people. Right. Well, yeah. And that hits on something else that people often don't take into account when they're doing a talk. And that is the energy exchange, right? Mm. Because we are constantly emitting and receiving energy. And so before you even go into a room to do a talk, if you're, think, if you're saying public speaking, you know, you're talking to a thousand people, you should be already setting up that room. You should already be connecting to the people in that room, connecting to whatever you think is source, asking for the right words, articulation so that you can help connect and being humble when you walk in that something greater is going to guide you in. That energy exchange is going to be far different than coming up with a five-page word-for-word yep, script right. that you have to now remember. Sounds robotic. And when we learned training, it <laughs> yeah, was yeah. like this, right? Like, I still remember the first uh, training I heard on public speaking. They were like, make sure you say, when you introduce yourself, three key things. The first one is that you are this. That, and, and, you know, you have to use your fingers. And you have to use certain gestures when you take a pause. Yeah. People nowadays are looking for authenticity. Yep. They're not looking for pre-programmed robots. We have mm-hmm. AI to take care of that. Mm-hmm. They just want someone real who's going to shoot from the hip, come prepared, know what they're talking about, and connect with them. And then the other thing they want is give me something that makes me better than when I came in because my yes. time is so valuable. Yep. If I'm giving you an hour or 30 minutes of my time, I better walk away with something that I can execute on. Yeah. Even if it's just to feel better about myself, that yeah. I'm not alone, no, knowing right. that I can't public speak well, you know, it's, it's <laughs> or funny, speak in public well. It's funny you say me. that because whether it's public speaking, and I always, I've said this on this show before, <clears throat> is even with content creation, I think there's only two things that people want. It's either they want to be entertained or they want to be educated. Right. And both of them make them feel something, whether, you know, it's happy if they're entertained, they feel happy or they're sad or they're romantic. And then education is something they can take away and apply. So it's the two E's, you know, it's it's versus, like you said, reading a script. And I think the easiest way to do that is telling your story. Everyone. I mean, it's safe to I think it's safe to assume that everyone has gone through something that they can speak on that others may be able to relate to, whether it's a divorce or or an illness in life or a death or financial issues. Touch on what you've been through, because now you've can speak on that topic. Yes. And And people wonder what makes me credible? Why should people listen to me? Mm -hmm. And what really comes up for me is that that is your purpose on this planet. Mm -hmm. Right? Like we are unique individuals and we've come with a purpose. 
You know, the eagle knows what the eagle needs to do. The lion knows what the lion needs to do. There's no doubt about it. And so what makes us different as humans is our story. And if we can leverage our story to connect or make someone else's journey lighter, why would we not want to do that? Why would we want to hide behind a facade? And it's because we're so fearful that if we get up on that stage and we say the wrong thing or we wear the wrong outfit, that we will be judged. But... At the end of the day, it's not about being judged or not. It's about being up there and, and living your life on purpose. What, what makes you unique? What is your story? And then others will find similarities and then they'll also find their differences. But trust me, we have way more alike mm. than we do different, right? So true. To my favorite public speakers, John C. Maxwell and Les Brown. Mm. Yeah, yes. I love and, and, Mr. Maxwell. I've been le- reading his leadership book since yeah, I started it, in retail when I was 19 years mm-hmm. old. Well, I started at like 17, yeah. but I was in leadership by then. But I think he's, I think wow. he's got 71 books now or 81 books. Yeah. Or the, the, when he speaks, he's so calm, so full of wisdom and experience. Like all you like for me, anyways, I'm like, I'm drawn to him. Yeah, that energy transfers big time. And, and, and Les Brown, especially in his earlier uh, teachings when he's public speaking, so animated and the man can tell a story. I yeah. still, I remember all the stories he's told in his, in his presentations because of the way he delivered it. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the takeaway, like relating to uh, connecting to the audience. And do you know, and he said this in his, he's in grade two or three, he was labeled as mentally retarded. Yes, he was like held back from the third grade yeah. two or three yeah. times, like just ridiculous. Yeah. And now he's look at him now. Just, and he's, <laughs> he's helped how many people around the world Same same, same with, uh, John, and there's, there's, there's others, but those two for me are the ones that truly stand out as like teachers. And that, that's my goal. Like if ever for public speaking, man, if I could emulate one of those two guys or a, a combination of, love it. To kind of rewind, but also step to the side onto another topic. Your story about when you were in grade six, I think you said it was when you were nervous and stuff. So first of all, you are one of the most self-aware people I've ever met and I love it. <laughs> I love that about you. Thank you. you th- yeah, yeah, no, I love it. Uh, because it's something I receive that, that it's and I appreciate good. it. Good, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's noticeable and it's something I try to work on with myself and I know Lorenzo does and I think it's a skill that can and should be learned. Big but time. my question is, I mean, I know you weren't always this self-aware. Like I said, it's, it takes work and time to, to become more self-aware, but... Do you think that that was exactly the point back then that made you self-aware? Is there, any, is there anything, is there any times in your life where you can remember, you know, like you catch yourself being angry or you catch yourself being sad or anxious because you, I, what I've learned about you is you kind of just go with the path of least resistance, which is amazing. It's, it, it, I think that eliminates, Fluid. yeah, it, you're like water and it eliminates so much unnecessary negative for a lack of better words, emotions. So do you want to touch on that? Just self-awareness, I guess. Yeah, there's, a, there's, I mean, if you've got five hours, I can go into that real deep, but let <laughs> me see if I can five do minutes. a, yeah, let me do a close <laughs> note version of that. <clears throat> so two things that I'd like to touch on when you talk about flowing like water, that part is still a work in motion, but it is probably something that's happened within the last five years where I've really been practicing the art of surrender. And that came from understanding that I was showing up in the world more with masculine energy than feminine, which means it didn't matter the lipstick or the high heels or the, or the fun colors that I wore. My 
behavior was one in which I was trying to dominate because masculine energy, we all have masculine and feminine energy in us, but with the masculine is this desire to control outcomes, dominate. It's very like have a goal, get it done. And that's Mm -hmm. why it's important to understand that, right? When you're dealing even with relationships. So I would say that is in the last five years and I have become more open to receiving And if I'm going to be open to receiving, which is my natural feminine quality, I have to surrender a little bit. And so that's where that ebb and flow comes from. And the the flowing like water is absolutely where I want to be. I want to be like that ocean. And I want to be able to take the good and the bad in equal stride because both of them serve me. The lessons, the failures, the deaths, the births, they are all part of this glorious thing called life. (laughs) And for a long time, I was really driving to the outcomes I wanted, which were the positives and the goals. And I am so happy I was like that for a long time because I would not have the life I have without it. Mm -hmm. But now I'm ready to transition. Now I'm ready to step into more. And by stepping into more, I actually release some of the control. Does that make sense? 100%. And then to to go back to your earlier question about when did I start? I mean, I I was made fun of a lot when I was younger because I was overweight. And I was overweight because I did not feel like I fit in anywhere. You know, my father's from Trinidad. My mom's from New Brunswick. I've got Irish, Scottish, English, French, Indian. I got everything in me. (laughs) And that is such a blessing. Like I'm a child of the world and I wouldn't want it any other way. But when I was like three and four and five, I just did not feel that I could find a place that I fit. So I would go to temple with my grandma and meditate and it'd be like, who's that white girl sitting at the back of the room with the baggy jeans, you know? And then I'd go to church and try and like sit in a different church. And like, I couldn't find it with religion. I couldn't find it with people looking like me. And and, and then I slowly just got bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. And as that happened, it made me feel even less um, included or accepted because, you know, by the time I was like in grade two, grade three, it was like, I, I was, you know, hundred pounds, right. When like people were like 40 or 50 pounds. So as I battled my weight, I battled with taking up what I thought was protection mode. So I started getting in a lot of fights in school, right? And I'm not in any way saying violence is the way, but as a child, these are how things unfold. When a child is unhappy, when a child feels unsafe, when a child feels like they have no tribe or crew, what happens is they start to lash out. And so for me, my lash out was, if anybody put their hands on me, male or female, they were going down. And if anybody made fun of anyone else, And it's so hard to think of my life like that right now because it's so so opposite, opposite. but like that was me in like grades, you know, four, five, six. Mm -hmm. So my best, my best friends, they're they're still friends with me today. Like we used to run around the playground and everyone would be like, Oh my God, Tara's coming. Watch out. She's going to knock you out. Like it was really, it was cute and fun when you watch it as like kids, but In retrospect, I had to get control of that anger. Mm -hmm. I had to get control of the fear that I was unworthy. And so there was a slight shift and, and that slight shift happened in grade six. And then I got like an award. I remember I had this big poofy dress on, it was white. And then I couldn't speak. 
So now even the shifts to the positive, we're still having a negative outcome because now I embarrassed myself further. So it wasn't until like grade seven or eight that a bigger shift happened. And that was because I, I remember like a teacher literally just was like, there's something about this, this girl, you know, she's, yeah, she's perceived as, you know, aggressive or not doing well in school, but I see a leader in her and they, and they sent me to a camp and it was like this leadership camp, uh, you know, pioneer village or something like that. I don't remember. (laughs) And it just helped me to like solidify that I had to have a balance of strength and then I could also do like really cool things if I found a way to just calm my anger, you know, so that it, my strength was perceived not from anger, but from something else. And I think that followed me through my high school years. And it taught me to like start to fight for myself more with my words. I got into like high school and I came on student council and we, you know, we did all of that stuff. In correlation with that came that, like, I started reading Deepak Chopra when I was yes, still yeah. in elementary school, right? Like, one of my favorite books is, like, The Bridges of Madison County. I wanted love from the time I was, like, in grade seven. I'm like, who's in love with me, you know? <laughs> and so all of those little things combined with, like, spiritual practice and meditation and, like, just finding my way through helped me through all of those years. And then you fast forward and I decided from the time I was in school, I would always be successful because no one could take that from me. And the weight started to fall off. My guy friends at school were like, who's that girl? What did they do with the tomboy? (laughs) And then things started to shift. At that stage is when I said to myself, I'm I'm always going to make money, right? And- so in that first part, I was successful. I if someone could if someone could show me that I couldn't do something, it would be my personal mission that by the next month I was going to do it. So they said you couldn't be on student council. Six hundred students signed the petition. Principal had to put me on student council, right? Like, and it became that thing where they said I couldn't pay pay for, you know, they said I couldn't be a, a manager in retail. Let's say I was too young. I was the youngest manager to make to, to make it, right? And to carry their biggest store. But then with that was like, you're not done. Once you hit your goal, you got to make a bigger goal yeah, and right. a bigger goal. So now I wanted to like make sure I had the most um, revenue coming in for stores, the yeah. highest retention rate, the lowest shrink rate, all of that happened. Then I was like, okay, I'm going to be a trainer. That happened. Then I'm like, forget this. I'm going to go into IT. I didn't have any IT training at all. Um I just heard that's where the money was and that's where the successful men were. And remember, I was really driven by identifying my success as what success looked like out there. And that was predominantly from males at that time, right? And then from there, I went into working at Dell. I stayed there for five years. I worked my way up really quickly. People were like, you're never going to become an AE. (laughs) There's so many AEs. There's so many people who are waiting to be an account executive and they've been here for like a decade. Why don't you be more realistic? You know, and I love that because when I did it in three years, I was like, 
because people like you stay realistic. So people yes. like me can go create exactly. the life they want. Right. Exactly. <clears throat> That's exactly why That's, you're sitting at this table is because we want to bring on, like, I like to think of myself as a high achiever. I know Lorenzo is. And like, I, I, I told you this in Belize, like you just impressed me. And I, I got that energy from you. It took like a day. I think on the, airplane ride down I sat beside <laughs> you and I was like I love this girl just this good combos but like that's amazing and uh, it's a lot of people don't have that drive and, and and I heard I heard an example once or a term it's like if you set 10x goals goals that seem so ridiculously ballistic out of this world you're more likely to get 5x than if you just set a 2x goal yeah like if you, you if you try to. if you try and you say if to. you're making a million and you're trying you're trying to make two you might hit like 1.5, but yep. if you, if you're making a million and you want to hit a hundred million, you might land at 50. Right. You know what I mean? And that's like the attitude you seem to have, mm -hmm. which is an attitude that I think a lot of people just brush off their shoulder. Like I'm never going to get that. I'm never going to. I always equate that to like, I'll just say it. I equate that to a defeated mentality because mm -hmm. it's just, a, it's just the easy route. Mm -hmm. And I love what you said about like, you know, tell me I'm not going to do it. And I'll do it because that's a driving force for me, man. Big time. Yeah. And I want to ask this, like, you know, listening to your story here about, you know, standing up for yourself, have a bit more of aggressive side. Would you equate that to like being, was that something to protect yourself? Did you feel like totally. you had to protect yourself? Totally. And people do not act violently if they don't feel like they have to self-preserve. Mm -hmm. Fight, flight, or freeze. Mm -hmm. It's a simple neurological programming that happens to us. Yeah. And in order to go in and retrain the brain, you have to create new habits mm -hmm. and that takes time. And the problem is, is most people aren't willing to give themselves enough time to create the new habit that is better for them. Right. Yep. So when we get in fear, fear can paralyze us or fear can move us beyond anything we've ever seen possible. Right. Because I can be scared, but when I look at my fear, I say to myself, I am more afraid of what I could potentially leave behind by not doing this. The worst that can happen is I'm unsuccessful and then I'll be more successful next time because I, I will have the lessons, right? I will mm -hmm. learn from the act of trying. And one other thing you said is people feel, who am I to do that? I keep saying that, right? Because if I work <clears throat> in, a, in a gas station, I can't own a business. If I am in retail, I can't run a country for a tech company without the educational background. I'm here to tell you both have happened. Mm -hmm. My father was the first one and I'm the second one. And the way that I did that was through relentless pursuit of personal improvement. Mm -hmm. But when you're improving, you have to be gentle with yourself too, because the <laughs> other side of that, that nobody talks about is the burnout, mm -hmm. right? Because when you're so relentless, you forget to love yourself without achieving and you can't tie yourself worth to the achievement. The achievement is there for your taking because you're divine and you can have anything you want, but you can't tie your self-worth to it. And that's why so many of us right now are suffering from burnout. We're like, just go, go, go hustle through it, hustle through it. Yeah. No, take a rest sometimes and then go hustle through it again is okay too. Right. Yeah. We forget to allow that side of ourselves, 
And, you know, Napoleon Hill said it well, right? Your mastermind alliance, you need to take time to sleep. Mm-hmm. Rests sometimes, walks sometimes. They give you that creative genius because there's only so much we can do by brute force. Right. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. You do your brute force. Yes. And then your creativity comes in and that's the stuff that excels you to the point where we're saying you go from here to you have global impact. Mm-hmm. You go from helping the community church to helping an entire country. And and it's not a lot more effort because once you're living on purpose, mm-hmm. once you're living your passion, once your ultimate sense of identity is not tied to that achievement, then you're more likely to get the right people attracted yes. in. It almost takes no effort. It. it almost takes no effort. It's, I, I would it starts to take off. Because like, you get in flow. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And even Dr. Joe Dispenza has said, you can't be, I'll just use wealth for an example, you can't be wealthy until you're wired for wealth. And then at that point, you can't even stop it. It's like you... you it just, you can't push it, it away. Like it's, yeah, like you said, it's, it's the, attra- the law of attraction is a very, very real thing. And it just, I just, just dawned on me as you were speaking. I had, I think I'd only told you in the past, only you. And then just before you walked in the door, I was telling Steve that I want to do an episode on bullying. And here you are. I had no idea you were going to talk about that. You just created I it. had never told anyone. I had right. never really even reached out to anyone. I told you a few months ago. I'm like, I think we should just kind of shift topics maybe a little bit and do stuff maybe a little bit more personal. And I don't know if you remember, Steve, I was telling you five minutes before she walked in, I was like, yeah, hey, I want to do topics on bullying. And here she is opening up with bullying. So no effort. <laughs> right. No effort. No effort. Wild. You're speaking. I was just like getting chills. I'm like, this holy crap. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, you can, you can create. It, it's hard to think because... We started this whole session by talking about diversifying our life, right? Mm. And being able to weave things through your entire life, not putting yourself in a box, right? So just because I work and I run <laughs> Canada doesn't mean I can't be of service, doesn't mean I can't invest. Well, that is for everything in your life, right? You, you, you're, it sounds cliche, but your limits are only the limits you put in front of yourself, right? With the right amount of focus, the mindset, the right energy and the right people around you, there's really nothing we can't achieve. There's people building on Mars, right? I interviewed in my women's spotlight, the C, um, the COO of NASA in my last women's spotlight recording, right? I mean, who would have think I'm just a normal person. So I guess what I'm trying to say is as you're going about your day and you're trying to look at like, how can I expand? Don't look at your starting point and don't look at the how. Now this is not really important, right? Like we're not talking about this negative positivity, manifest what you want and just sit in your briefs and eat chocolates all day, right? (laughs) That's not what we're saying here. We're saying be brave enough to feel your fear and do it anyways. We're saying be brave enough to fall down, pick yourself back up and keep your outcome in mind. And we're saying be brave enough that when you're doing all of those things, you remind yourself that it will just flow to you when it's, when it's time. Right? So it doesn't mean that because you say I need it on December 1st, it's going to happen. Your bullying episode just flowed to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's a small example. But no, this no, is no. how it happens in life I every know. single day. It doesn't happen how or when you want it to because there's so much more, so many more variables moving around that you're just completely unaware of, mm-hmm. right? So you, all of us as humans, and we're all guilty of it from time to time, is you just go by based on what you hear, smell, taste, touch. But you don't know, like me meeting you and 
you meeting Lorenzo and now Steve, like who knows what's working in the background. That's right. You just got to trust the process. Limiting beliefs is something that I feel that so many people are just so caught up in. Yes. And not truly understanding what limiting beliefs are either. Mm -hmm. I know. I feel like it's a term that's just thrown around. It's thrown around like authenticity nowadays. It it kind of, (laughs) yeah, yeah, you're right. Right. But it makes me think of if someone has a limiting belief that they don't want, they don't believe in themselves. The, the people that surround themselves with don't have the same belief. Like it's almost like it's a small minded way of viewing things. In my opinion, that like someone who's limited in their beliefs, they don't want to take that extra step. They don't want to be, they don't, they're afraid of being brave. Let's put it honestly. They're afraid of doing the inner childhood work to understand where their limiting beliefs originated. Mm, and it is work. Limiting beliefs aren't just something that comes up in, you know, in our thirties, forties, <laughs> right? You're under seven, generally under yep. five, something happens, you program that in your mind and then you start reinforcing it. Yep. And just like I said before, like you've got to reprogram your neurological program, those neurological, you know, brain waves to think differently. That's what you have to do with your limiting belief because Someone said you were fat when you were five doesn't mean that you're fat now, but your mind goes to unworthiness automatically, even though you're fit and you're in the gym every day. Mm. And that's the difference. Like really when we look at an abundance mindset and a scarcity mindset, that's where it happens. That's why fit people can still like go and binge when no one's looking. That's why very wealthy people who or people who are poor and they win the lotto can lose it all in a heartbeat, right? Yep. Because they don't have that mindset and they haven't eradicated their limiting beliefs. Mm-hmm. That's the first step, I think, in any personal development is really truly looking at your limiting beliefs and excavating them out of you before you can pour a foundation of what's new when you're building the life of your dreams. Going within. And there's a lot of that that doesn't happen. There's a lot of in society that doesn't happen. There's, uh, there's two things I want to touch on, but for the sake of time, um, you see, I'm going to touch on one and then I'm going to suggest that we do an ayahuasca episode and a follow-up episode in, in the <laughs> new year. Cause I feel like that's like a whole topic in itself. Um, but back to your point about fitness, people feeling, you know, like they could be in the best shape ever. And, you know, for some reason they still think they're not, I don't know if you've read the book or not. And if you haven't, I suggested psycho cybernetics and it touch it's, it's written by, um, uh, a plastic surgeon who does like face surgery on people with like abnormally large noses or ears or whatever. Sometimes a lot of people come to him and they don't have anything wrong with them. And it's just a thing. But a lot of the times these people, it's so ingrained in their head that they have something wrong that even when they're fixed and they look completely different, they still feel ugly or still feel fat. Even though the, the, what the word, the defect for a lack of better words is gone. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change anything because it's so instilled in their paradigm and in their box that like they literally come out a completely different person. Right. And and on the other end, when people don't have anything wrong with them, they still have programmed themselves. They've the self-belief of something being wrong with them and they just can't snap out of it. And it's a very, very interesting book basically about that with a guy who's had so much experience dealing with people who both have problems and don't, but still can't get out of that mindset even after they're fixed. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's a, it's powerful to powerful topic to go down. 
Well, maybe you'll have me back. No, no, no. We're good. We will. Oh for, oh, for sure. No, no, we will. We, we, are, said, we said it before the show. You're I want to. I want to have you back in the, in the new year for sure. And I want to do because I feel like there's so much more depth to you. There's so many more layers. And just for the sake of time, like we can't touch on all of it. But I could. We could keep you here all night. <laughs> for no sure. Problem. For sure. Anything else you got to say, Lorenzo? <laughs> where do I Where do I start? Man? Yeah. Come on. But one thing I did want to touch on, like, so you know, the the masculine energy was that something that was from like you know, family background? Is that something that you inherited because of there were more masculine men, like men in the family? Like how did that develop in your life? Was it, was it the influence? We're running around and we're creating a society where women are afraid to really be women and men are afraid to be men. Mm -hmm. And um, there are a slew of other pronouns that I'm sure um, I could you know, I invite to the table as well that feel something in that capacity as well. But for today's talk, I'm just going to talk about masculine and feminine energy. Mm-hmm. And we both, we have both of them inside. Mm-hmm. And what happens is as we go play, as we go to school, as we go into life, we watch what's happening around us and we learn what success looks like. We learn what success with relationships looks like. We learn what success with our friends look like. And we learn what success in business looks like, especially if it's in construction or if it's in technology or if it's in manufacturing plants, right? And then we try to go get at life. And because we have this great positive mindset and we don't have limiting beliefs, we think we can do anything. But what we don't realize is that as we embark on that, we're emulating what we see. And we're not always taking the time to tap in to our heart energy and to what we are as energetic beings, right? There is a time for both masculine and feminine energy, don't get me wrong, for both men and females. But what I learned was that if I wanted to be successful, I had to be goal-orientated, I had to work hard, I had my, I had written on my desk, excuses stand in the way of excellence, don't let anything stop me, win at all costs. And if anyone gets hurt along the way, make sure I take care of them and then get back to winning. That was basically my motto in life and anything was achievable. While I was going through that, what I didn't realize until I started to look around at the burnout, until I personally had a stroke because I was working myself to the bone and understanding more about how I wanted to bring women in technology and the STEM program to light with some of the colleges I was working with, I started to do more investigation on this. And what I realized is that the real burnout was coming because as women, we felt we had to be men to be successful, not consciously. We had to wear certain suits. We had to dress a certain way, talk a certain way, go have scotch with the boys and cigars. And like, we had to go to the golf course, right? Take some golf lessons because that's how business was done. Not a fault of anybody, but just that's how it had always been done. So now all of a sudden you have this influx of females in the executive table And they're fighting for their seat at the table. They're fighting for a seat at the table instead of feeling that they can own the table, which is the key difference. And when they're fighting, the best way is to get people around the table to support them. And the way to do that is to go in and connect with them. And so they're connecting with them as as males. Mm -hmm. 
they're they're tr- they're training their staff as males. They're hitting their numbers at, in that masculine energy, and it's not to mean that we can't do it as women. It's that we're subconsciously just following the program. And then that's why so few actually get to the C level in those male dominated roles. And it's also why so many um, burn out after the fact, right? And this programming starts from a very young age, right? And it goes right through school. What do you mean you want to get into tech? Are you sure you don't want to get into home ec or HR? Like this is the kind of conversations that happen in schools with kids, right? And then that continues to move forward. And when you're in the boardroom, the way you negotiate, it has to be authentically. Mm -hmm. But sometimes uh, as leaders that are females in those boards, we don't even remember what that looks like. So I hope that kind of answers your question. Yes, I I grew up with four younger brothers. Mm -hmm. I grew up in, you know, my my dad was a huge influence and is a huge influence, as is my mom. My mom's super tough, super masculine energy too. Um, but there's more than that too. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot more than that as yeah. a society, as a whole, we've gotten so far away and yeah. it, you know, it is something that is impacting every grain of our culture right now. And I think it really needs to be looked at because, yeah. um, I, yeah. Well, that's what I was getting at because a lot of people do unknowingly, they take on traits and characteristics because from a young age are surrounded by a certain type of element that's in the home. And so for those that, you know, carry through like, you know, like a mass, like you were saying, like what you had, like a predominant masculine energy, that's why I asked the question, because if like a lot of people, if they're surrounded by, let's say males, predominantly, they're going to have that male energy without even knowing that they have that male energy and they carry that forward. Right. Yeah. And then fast forward to what you were saying too about society, of course, this is how it's been forever. Yeah. And, and things, things are changing for, for the better. But if you talk to my younger brothers they were more afraid of me than I was of them back then because I was the eldest. <laughs> right. We can't even blame it on them. Poor guys. Like I ripped one of their <laughs> arms out of socket. Like, oh my goodness, right? And then if you look at other parts of the world where women are, are that don't have the rights that we have in North America, where women don't have a voice, where women feel like they're constantly boxed, constricted, or restrained into what they should or should not do. And not just about the constructs of the home, but in generalities, they can't raise their voice. They shouldn't wear certain things. There's a whole slew of things that culturally programs in mm-hmm. as well that can't be ignored either, right? And so we're not saying, well, I'm not saying, I shouldn't speak on your behalf, that things should be 50-50 because I don't believe that will ever happen. Mm-hmm. Someone's always going to be at 55 and 45. I mean, right. that's the world, right? right? We have had women leaders, right? We have had yep. Cleopatra. right here. Let's not forget. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> But there's always going to be that dance, right? And I think oh, with male with male allies beside our side and understanding that there are men that will walk beside us in mm-hmm. our authenticity and that, I said this, just one quick thing. I said this to one of the female leaders I was coaching at one point. I said, you know, you're trying so hard to get this promotion and the way you're doing it is by like, trying to show up how you think your male boss wants you to. What if you just tried to show up like yourself, right? Because he's not, when he says, oh, you're my cheerleader, he's not trying to be condescending to you. He doesn't even know what he just said. He doesn't know how that might impact you as a female or make you feel minimized. 
What he's really trying to say is, I love the energy you bring to this room. You make me feel like great. Like yeah, this is yeah. amped up. Amped up. And for a man, that's the best way to feel right. because mm-hmm. now he can go take charge of the world. Right. Because right. what do men want to do? They want to go like take care of people and take charge of the world. Just like I never thought of it that I way. I can affirm and attest to that. Right? Big time. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, bring in your smile and yeah, your A game. Yeah, yeah. It's not because you're being minimized. It's because like... You brighten up the room. (laughs) People want to do business with you when you smile. And now when you have the attention, now you can show your other skills authentically, right? Of leadership, or you can show instead of pushing, you might pull. Instead of going and competing, you might collaborate, right? Because masculine is competing, but feminine is collaborating, right? You might get into your heart-centered energy and find a more creative solution where everybody wins. But you can't do that if you're forcing yourself through a lens that wasn't meant for you. Right. Yeah, not being authentic, not being your real self. Well, you continue to fascinate me. And um, (laughs) I love this woman, and I think it's time for us to take her for dinner, so... (laughs) Thank Thanks you. Thank you. you. Hell yeah. We, yeah, we only touched on a few things, so yeah, very you're few, coming yeah, back. Yeah, I think. Uh, My pleasure. I think, I think we could go three, four episodes with you. So <laughs> we'll plan you throughout the year. Maybe we'll have you back every quarter. Yeah, I for sure. We'll do, we'll do I love it. This girl. It's been fun. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week, and I cannot w- wait to release this episode. So thank you for watching. Take care, everyone. Thank you.